are listening to Bookshed Bethel. This is a podcast featuring me. I'm Anne Marie Koister from the Department of History, and and I'm Carrie Peffley from the Department of Philosophy. So today we will be discussing a little bit of um, Aristotle, and we'll be doing so with Eric Leafblad, who is a professor in the Bible and Theological Studies Department. So when you hear him say BTS, for everybody who's in the normal world, that means Biblical and Theological Studies. So thanks for joining us. We've got about 25 minutes of what we hope is stimulating conversation. This week, we are joined by Professor Eric Leafblad from the Theology Department, who is going to talk to us about Aristotle. Um, So for all of our listeners out there who don't know Aristotle very well, can you give us just a brief introduction to, like, what are we going to be reading? So we're going to be reading the Nicomachean Ethics. Did I say it right? You did. Yeah, good. That's that's relief. Yeah, right, (laughs) because... Yeah, you know that's probably the most important thing that mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get out of Aristotle. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, um, so uh, among many things, maybe a broad overview of Aristotle. What we're going to get at is um, sort of what's become, I would say, a dominant perspective in ethics in our contemporary world, stretching all the way back to ancient Greece in terms of what is sometimes called virtue ethics, or um, a way of thinking about that is like how do habits impact who we become as moral people in the world. So that's a really general sense of what Aristotle's up to, I think, but um, let's go with that for now. All right. I like that. Mm -hmm. So as you are thinking about what you're going to be talking about with students next week, are there certain ideas, certain concepts that you're more excited to talk about compared to others? And if so, what are those? Yeah. um, What am I excited? Actually, I want to lead off my class by suggesting uh, that it's, well, not just my class, but also this podcast, that I am in the BTS department probably the most what might be called radical Protestant, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes me diametrically opposed to Aristotle. So I'm glad to be on this podcast. So that's how I'm going to start my class of saying I agree with uh, Luther in that Mm -hmm. he is a devilish fellow. That Aristotle is Aristotle's a devilish, a devilish <laughs> wow. fellow. No, I, 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 I kid a little bit. But uh, in what sense? What I mean, I'm so, curious what you mean by that. Yeah. So if so, this this is what I think could be really interesting for our students and for all of us to discuss is that part of what Luther is. Luther hates Aristotle. Mm-hmm. I don't hate Aristotle. But Luther hates him. Okay. Because Luther sees in Aristotle the sense that like it is within you to become this virtuous, yes. great person, mm-hmm. which he thinks is just utterly contrary to particularly Paul's account of justification in mm-hmm. Romans. And so that's what makes Aristotle the devilish fellow mm-hmm. uh, for Luther. Um, so that I think that can be a really, really interesting conversation for our students. Mm-hmm. When we started having the students read Aristotle a few years ago, it was actually because he provided such a nice foil to the Protestant Reformation. We found that most of our students came in with a kind of a platonic perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Luther and Calvin made sense. Reading the Catholics of the Reformation made no sense at all. And it's because they're so influenced by Aristotle. Right. Right. Well, I already feel like I've learned something in this podcast. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. That Luther was an ornery, like, mean well, person. Well, that part yeah. I knew. Yeah. And I knew he was plagued by devils just in yeah, general. Right. But there's, mm-hmm. I didn't realize he had such antipathy for uh, Aristotle. Yeah. So. yeah. Mm. Well, and interestingly, I mean, um, the 
I think the importance of, I just about killed my mic, uh, <laughs> the importance of Aristotle um, is, and, and this is what I, I will love to sort of see what our students have to say about this. I think the importance of Aristotle shows up in all sorts of subtle ways uh, okay. in our students' lives in terms of like, sometimes I describe Bethel as being sort of like a spiritual Olympian, Olympics okay. um, that everybody's trying to outdo one another in terms of their own spiritual formation. And I don't think that's what Aristotle actually has in mind for us, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a bit of like, I like that's the devilish fellow of Aristotle for Luther. And so uh, I'll be curious to see sort of how our students are able to grapple with like what what sorts of habits might Aristotle hold out for mm-hmm. us as leading to virtue and how might those habits, how, how might the things that we think we have to do mm-hmm. in order to lead to maybe like Christian virtue, uh, how might those actually be something Aristotle would look at us and go like, no, 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 you're, mm-hmm. you're totally mm-hmm. off base here. Mm-hmm. So if you were talking to a radical Protestant um, who was reading Aristotle for the first time, what advice would you have them? What would you have them sort of look for um, in terms of things that they might find compelling about about Aristotle. Aristotle. Um, I think, well, so I think what I find compelling, so let's just, like, I am the radical Mm process. What I find compelling about Aristotle is the intense focus on phrenesis, on Mm -hmm. practical wisdom. Um, There's just a, there's a, there's a deep, I think wisdom to what Aristotle is up to in terms of saying um, there is a way to live really, really well, and that's actually what leads to sort of like the ethical life. Mm-hmm. It's not, and, and that includes things like contemplation, uh-huh. um, like thinking. Like thinking can be practical. I mean, I just mm-hmm. talked about that in a class this morning where they were like, how is this practical? And I said, how is it not practical? We're in a room practicing mm-hmm. thinking. Like that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think I think this sort of, the, the maybe the pragmatic ethos of the American mind actually dovetails really well, I think, with what Aristotle is interested in in mm-hmm. terms of phronesis. Um, but deepens that beyond just like, is this going to get me a good job? Uh, mm. So I, right. that's the stuff that's really compelling for me is that that like he does have an intense, I think he has an intense focus on like what works, mm-hmm. um, but not in this sort of shallow American mm-hmm. pragmatic sense in a, in a much more like what works for a good, compelling life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our listeners out there who will not be reading Aristotle, Phrenesis is one of Aristotle's uh, intellectual virtues, because for Aristotle, it's not just about good behavior, it's about good thought processes as well. So interesting side story. I, when asked about my, my little sister wanted to get family tattoos, I actually suggested phrenesis, because I just think it's such yeah. a cool concept, and I'd be totally down with having phrenesis across my, across my so arm. So where did y'all oh, get your tattoos? Then? We, we haven't. My oh. father will never be a part oh. of this. So that, that, was my next, that was going to be my next question, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we get the little sighting yeah. of the potential? Maybe, okay. maybe like all the humanities professors can get. Not, we could get humanities for tattoos. I'll start with a T-shirt. Let's okay. start with a T-shirt and go Fair from enough. there. Okay. Um, so this is a question for you two. I don't have a dog in this fight, but the other team does read Plato, and so are there arguments to be made 
for Plato against Aristotle, and why do we read Aristotle instead of Plato? Am I, do I have to start? Whatever, why you don't can. You, you sure. start, and then I'll argue with you. Yeah. I so like um, one of the reasons I already sort of said that when we read Plato, we found that so many students came in with an inherent Protestant um, Platonic perspective that it was much harder when we got to the Reformation, to the Enlightenment, to describe that way of thinking about and things. What, for those of us who are just not so much into the philosophy, what do you mean by Like, how do you see evidence of the Platonic influence on Protestant Christians? That's a great question. So the sort of the basic dualism, okay. the idea that I believe in immortality of the soul, but my soul is not connected to my body. Sure. I am not my body. And so we don't need to worry about the physical right. world as much. Whereas Aristotle thinks, no, we are our soul and our body together. Yeah. Um, you can't separate them. And so everything I do needs to be um, sort of cognizant that I'm a physical thing as well as an intellectual thing. Yeah. Do you have something you want to add to that, Eric? No, I think, well, maybe. I always have ideas, I think. Uh, I th yeah, I mean, I think like one of the things that might be really helpful for our students in that difference, I would agree, like I think our students are just prone towards Platonism in their own way. Um, but I also, th I also think like uh, maybe a recovery of Aristotle, says the radical Protestant, uh, <laughs> a recovery of Aristotle also maybe gives them a different sort of social Imagine, imagination for um, maybe the Old Testament, which is actually very visceral mm -hmm. and embodied. And like the yeah. Hebrew mind is maybe much closer to oh, Aristotle, Aristotle than to Plato. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, in some ways, the Hebrew mind is its own thing, mm -hmm. too. So I want to be yeah. careful of saying it, it is Aristotle. But, mm -hmm. um, but I think Aristotle treads closer to maybe the Hebrew mind of mm -hmm. the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible than than Plato might. Yeah. Though I'm also hearing professors of mine like yelling at me right now. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I feel like even when we get to um, Augustine, I feel like for me, like when I encounter Plato, it's an Augustine August, mm -hmm. or Augustine, whatever we're going to say there. Mm -hmm. But we'll go just back because of the divorce between the body and the spirit and mm -hmm. his disdain for the body for the he body. can't control, which then the Protestants will pick up later mm -hmm. on. Yeah. So, Yeah. And then when we get to Aquinas, who's so influenced by Aristotle and mm -hmm. doesn't have this disdain for the body, so mm -hmm. he picks up on that trajectory. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, I've asked Carrie a few times these kinds of questions, but what do you do with these um, Greeks in general who have such disdain for the ladies? Augustine among them. Mm -hmm. I mean, not Augustine, um, Aristotle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he did not like the ladies, Aristotle. Oh, Eric's thinking. I am. Well, I mean, how do you... What do you do with that? Yeah, mm -hmm. how do you answer? What do I do with yeah. that? Yeah, and I can interject right now and say, everyone knows I love Aristotle so, so much. The yes. picture in the philosophy department of me is me hugging a statue of Aristotle, mm. and I don't know what to do with his hatred yeah. for the ladies. I mean, I think it's a question... I mean, that's a question for parts of the biblical canon as well sure. mm -hmm. right so it's it's i think it's one of those questions like uh, maybe a way to like engage it would be is there a sense in which uh, aristotle's perspective on gender um blocks him from being the sort of person of phronesis that he actually mm. wants to wants be. to be mm -hmm. like from our perspective could we look at aristotle and say he sort of failed to live up to his own ethical standard because mm -hmm. of the way that he thinks about 
the lady folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I had a conversation with Dr. Goldberg about this, and I said, it's just, for me, this is not my area of expertise, but I think it's just so interesting to, to read the contrast between the disdain for women in Socrates and um, Aristotle, but then to see such power in female characters in the plays or even the mythology. And so that makes me think that there is something more going on in the mm-hmm. culture than what we read in the intellectual lives mm-hmm. of these guys. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And here I'm going to argue against myself. Okay. Uh, go, or at Carrie. least my sort of love of Aristotle. If you come from a more dualist perspective like Plato does, so mm-hmm. Socrates can be a little bit anti-woman, Aristotle definitely. Plato himself actually believes that women can be philosopher queens. Mm. Um, and in fact, he says that the difference between um, a man and a woman is like the difference between a bald man and a man with hair. There's clearly a physical difference there, <laughs> but it's completely not related to the ability to rule. So there's there's no job suited for man qua man or woman qua woman. I think he can do that because he's a dualist, because he yeah. thinks that the physical doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so that allows him to right. escape some of that Greek disdain for women. Yeah, that idealism actually is truly an idealism. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I will just say, for me as, again, total outsider, one of the things that I really do appreciate about Aristotle is that he does devote so much time to thinking about the influence and the um, strength of habit. And I think what I appreciate about Aristotle's perspective on that is that it is a difficult one. Mm -hmm. And I think about just how difficult it is to habituate myself to doing the good. Right. And I think that is a very contemporary lesson. Yep. That students would be well to pick up on. Just that's just my little two mm-hmm. cents. Yep. Well, my whole so like my my specialty is what's called practical theology, which is not an oxymoron, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and I mean, the dominant sort of thrust or impulse of of my discipline is sort of neo Aristotelian. It's a it's huh. an intense focus on practices and the difficulty of habituating congregations or Mm -hmm. groups of people into practices that might lead to, uh, you know, a a faithful life would be how we would talk about it. So, like, Aristotle has immense contemporary significance, not just in philosophy, but in in the the practical side of theological uh, studies. In fact, if one doesn't deal with practices or habits, one is often sort of kept at arm's length by most Right. Practical theologians. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And there, I do like as well the at the end of one of the books of the ethics that Aristotle says, we don't judge a person if they err a little bit. That's normal. No mm-hmm. one is perfect. So there's a lot of forgiveness in mm-hmm. Aristotle's system, mm-hmm. which I think is really, it's a wonderful ethical system for those of us who have come out of maybe more black and white backgrounds. Yeah. Well, and that grounds the habits as sort of maybe uh, provisional sorts of things that one can can move more deeply into without having to be kind of an expert in them right away. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't a zero-sum game. Like, um, And I think that that's a there, – there's a sense of, of growth in in Aristotle that maybe isn't present in Plato. Plato, yeah. you, you either get it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and that makes sense for those of us that come from a sort of charismatic or like proclamational tradition mm-hmm. of Christianity. Like you have to hear the word and mm-hmm. God has to make you hear the word. Um, so we return again and again and again to that, but there is also a more and more and more of mm-hmm. life, a deeper immersion mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. that. And I think that's, uh, 
commendable from Aristotle, even if I like Plato a little better. Well, and I like how Aristotle is very grounded in what he observes in human beings. So I appreciate that he can see that virtue looks different for different people. Mm -hmm. And so like it's maybe Carrie's version of courage Mm -hmm. is going to look very different from my version of courage. And and that that really resonates with me too. Yep. 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 And even taking into account our dispositions, Mm -hmm. that my own dispositions are going to lead me probably to err in a certain way. And so I need to shoot in the other direction um, because we're not blamed for our dispositions, but we have to kind of correct against them Mm -hmm. that everyone is a little different. Yeah. So here's a question I might have for you as like the real Aristotelian Mm. expert. Watch out, Carrie. When when I read Aristotle and and, and move beyond sort of the like, just virtue and habit. There's like a deep psychology, I think, too, mm-hmm. in Aristotle. Um, and the, the dispositions reminds me a little bit of like sort of the development of psychoanalysis in the 20th century, which is a bizarre connection to make, perhaps, because psychoanalytic tradition is maybe more platonic. But yeah. Um, so this notion of dispositions, do you see sort of like, are those unconscious in Aristotle or do we know them? So... Aristotle, that's a great question. Aristotle gets into um, these sort of psychological dispositions in a work called the, it's referred to as the De Anima. So it's his On the Soul, which we definitely will not have students read because it's really, really hard to understand. It's very dense. But he's starting to um, think about the way the, the brain works, how the mind works, and whether or not certain dispositions are inherent. It's notoriously difficult to understand what he's talking about, but he does think that um, the way in which we are built psychologically is going to have something to do with the way we define the good. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is going to have an impact. And so this is the difference between a person, say, who's going to want to live a political life, and that's going to lead to eudaimonia, versus the philosopher, the theologian, who's going to think and live the life of contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're built in in some yeah. ways. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so we usually ask um, our guests to think about um, other books that they might have people to read if they're reading this and they want to read it with something else or they want to read mm-hmm. something in addition to this that's sort of Augustine-related but not necessarily – or not Aristotle. Augustine. Augustine. You want to read Augustine. Want we want to get yeah, through sorry. this Greek stuff. <laughs> sorry, listening <laughs> audience. Okay, but anyway, point being, like, other uh, other books you would have people read? Yeah, uh, maybe not as a counterpoint. I mean, I think – so I'll sp- – yeah, I'll speak from my own discipline, I guess. Like uh, Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue okay. is like probably the most – one of the most important, I think, sort of neo-Aristotelian approaches to ethics in the okay. 20th century. It's a little dense, but it's mm-hmm. – I mean, it, if you get Aristotle, you'll get McIntyre, and it's a kind of contemporary, I think, mm-hmm. um, foil on Aristotle. Um, maybe – Bunyan's Pilgrim, Pilgrim's oh, Progress that idea. Too, uh, might be yeah. an interesting sort of pairing because it's all about, you know, sort of like moving one's way towards God. Um, and maybe Brother Lawrence is practicing the presence of God, I think, is a mm-hmm. kind of there's a kind of phronesis to that as well. You know, he like washes dishes and uses that as sort of like an act of contemplating God's presence in his life. Interesting. So maybe Brother Lawrence would be another it sounds like I need to read that one. Yes. I'm adding to my reading list. Yeah. Um, we also like to ask all of our guests, what books are on your nightstand right now? Unrelated like to Aristotle. Fun, fun reading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Fun for you. Yeah, fun for <laughs> me. I'm trying to think, like, what am I reading? For? Well, I'm, like, trying to finish, like, hurriedly trying to finish my dissertation. So oh. I'm, um, I don't have anything fun that I'm reading. Well, what's what's your dissertation about? Uh, so, yeah, so my, my dissertation is uh, roughly about um, if we think of God as our minister, as the one who sort of is present to us, how might that change how we approach ministry? So minister, I focus a lot on sort of mm-hmm. like concrete practice of ministry. Okay. So I try to, I'm try. i trying to make that a theological thing rather than just a pragmatic or mm-hmm. functional thing. And so is there a an easily accessible book that yeah. might be... Sure. Um, in that realm? Yeah. No, because I'm breaking the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so your dissertation. We will read yeah, your dissertation. Right. No, Stay I, tuned, on, everybody. The, what am I reading? I am reading things for fun. I'm reading a book called uh, Seculosity by David Zoll, which uh, is... Uh, I like that that's your fun reading. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's essentially like um, how... Like Charles Taylor is a philosopher that matters to me. Um, and he, he argues that like one of the conditions of life in modern Western culture is that every belief is contested. So David Zoll has sort of written this book that says, like, what are what are all these different forms of religion that create a contest of belief? And so mm-hmm. he looks at, like, parenting and kids' sports, which I'm sort of involved in. So mm-hmm. uh, he's sort of reading my mail a little bit. Right on. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what are you reading, Carrie? Well, so I had just started, I think the last time we asked this question, I had just started C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. Mm. Um, so I'm reading that. And then also for a little light reading, not a book, but I'm reading through the New York Times 1619 project oh. um, on the foundation of America and slavery and its effect on our economy and um, our history. Very, very interesting. Nice. Sobering. Interesting. Well, and I'm excited to report that I'm done with my Veronica Mars fan fiction. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, you all laugh, but you all want to read it. And I have both of those books. Um, so, um, And so I just finished Pat Barker's The Silence of the Girls, which um, won the Booker Prize not long ago. So I'm redeeming myself by saying I've, I've read it, the Booker Prize winning right. Silence of the Girls. But I'd recommend it to people who are interested in this conversation about Greek culture because she is looking at the story of Briseis. Uh, in the context of the Trojan War, Briseis becomes the concubine of Achilles, and Achilles has basically murdered her whole family. So she's kind of articulating what it's like to be the enslaved woman mm-hmm. and be part of the enslaved encampment of women. And it's fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Um, I also finished a book called Circe, and the author has an alliterative name that's with M's, and I can't remember it. But that was um, about a sort of ga- goddess who Odysseus encounters as part mm-hmm. of his travels. Good, but not as good as The Silence of the Girls is what I would say. So, hmm. If part of that question is to just get at, like, what do we like? In, what do we what, like? What sparks our mind sure. for fun? Like, music is that fun oh. stuff for me. So the album that I can't stop okay. listening to is, well, there's two right now. Bonavere's new one, I, comma, I. Fantastic. And then His Golden Messenger is another band I really like. They just came out with a new album today that's also fantastic. So if you want to get inside my mind, students, that's how you get inside my mind. (laughs) We we like that. Listen to the bands Mm -hmm. I listen to. Yeah. Yeah. What are you listening to? Right now I've been listening to, well, a lot of Bach because I always listen to a lot of Bach. 
But I've also been listening to a lot of Balkan beatbox, um, which is great Middle Eastern hip hop for something completely different. And my husband keeps playing Joe Henry, um, which nobody's ever heard of. So that's not really that fun. We're out of time. So Good. thank you for being with us. Yeah, And fun. have fun with the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And thanks for joining us for Bookish at, at Bethel. Bethel. Hey, this is Sam Mulberry from the Live from AC Second Podcast Network. We have lots of great shows on the network this fall, like Election Shock Therapy, Bookish at Bethel, The 252, Tweet Victory, and maybe a few more. If you like what you're listening to, go on to the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher and subscribe to the Live from AC Second Podcast Network. It's free, and it helps us deliver every new podcast episode right to you. So subscribe, listen, and enjoy. And as always, you can reach us at livefromacsecond at gmail.com.